Welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping well right now. Hi, everybody. Matt Guy here. Warm or is it cold? Who knows? It's warm in the day. It's cold in the evening. It's uh, havoc on my nostrils. Good, good evening. <laughs> well, good morning. Hello, everyone. Yeah, for, for context... We are sitting here. There's a reason this doesn't go for video. One, that we, we can't be asked. Well, Andy can't be asked. And two, the fact that he's wearing <laughs> what can probably easily describe as a, a makeshift vest that looks like it used to be a T-shirt at one point. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. It's a wrestling <laughs> T-shirt that I've just cut down. I've even removed the collar on it, so I've got the scoop neck. And literally three miles down the road, Matt is there in a hoodie. <laughs> I had to get changed earlier. I was like, God, I'm fucking freezing. So I've got like the thickest joggers on and I've got the thickest wolves hoodie that I can find. I'm freezing cold. But I 16. think that's more of a, like a tiredness thing than anything. Yeah, 16 degrees currently. It's fine. It the feels warm. Yeah. It's going to get worse. It's one of those like... There's a there's a step in my house <laughs> where the temperature just shoots up or down depending on whether you're like going up or going down the stairs. It's bizarre. Like you walk past that step and there's just a, there's like a a vacuum of heat when you go upstairs and then you go down it and it's dead cool. I don't, like I don't know what it is. Probably like asbestos where the asbestos starts or ends <laughs> in, in the walls or something. There's a step like that at Craving Cottage as well, but. It, it, there's no kind of heat transfer. It just catches people out. And so I've been, I've sat in the same row as it, and it, I think it's like row D, D or something like that. It's it's about just over halfway up the stand, but because it's a temporary scaffolding thing that's never going to change, it's kind of where the metal is put on top of where the concrete used to be. Mm. So it changes, like the steepness of the stand changes in that one instance, and there's no. There's no like that yellow tape stuff that like warning tape or whatever. So people just constantly just trip up it, going back yeah. to the, <laughs> going back to get more overpriced beer from the. Well, I was gonna say inside, but it's not even inside. Is it? It's outside at Fulham. Yeah, that, mm. that's a problematic step. Yeah, uh, right. I suppose we better <laughs> get on because there is some news to discuss about films and whatnot. Um, starting off, this one's actually filmed to TV. There's a couple of big book to small screen adaptations which have been announced. Twilight is being produced by Lionsgate Television. Um, it's very early days, so there's no information other than Stephanie Meyer is going to be involved. Um, the films weren't very good, and by all accounts, the books aren't good either. Um, also, we've got the Harry Potter series which is being produced by HBO. Um, I, I don't know if it's going straight to their streaming service or quite what. I imagine they'll spend a lot of money and it'll end up on TV. Um, by all accounts, it's because the original stars don't want to work with J.K. Rowling anymore. So they've decided to restart the whole thing um, because, you know, they want to make sure that dead horse is well and truly flogged, don't they? Both series ended a little over a decade ago. Matt, is there really a call for a reboot? Um, well, you only got to look at Hogwarts Legacy and that's success. From a, at least from a Potter side of things, that the numbers and the data probably says, you know, what's what's old is fashionable and yada yada. 
Twilight, I think, is a strange one because I don't think the 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 legacy of Twilight is that popular, really. I I, I don't think, but again, it's not really our world to judge that. I guess they've got to have looked at data and looked at the amount of those that's still being streamed of that series or, or anything mm. and, and think that there's something viable there. But certainly from the, the Harry Potter side of it, there's obviously still a massive appetite there. And when you look at the potential for what they can do with that world, it, it's, it's, it's limitless, really. There's so much that you can explore and, squeeze out of that stone even if it's absolute turgid dog shit which you know it could or couldn't be there's 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 an appetite there through the games and stuff like that that are still massive people still want that world so i I can understand why it's being done the question of whether the quality will be there is an absolute other thing but then i think that people would have said that around the um the lord of the rings series you know Mm-hmm. The, the films are so beloved to begin with, and then could they possibly do anything with a show that it would be ridiculed for how much it costs, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, and then the content that they put out is, you know, pretty well respected. So I don't know; it's a weird one. Mm. Stu, I know you've not seen Harry Potter. Have you seen Twilight? No, I've seen four of eight of Harry Potter. Okay, um, and for which. It doesn't really make any sense or why I, I stopped there because I did enjoy them for what they are. Um, Twilight, no, because I'm not a single 30-year-old woman, which is what they're aimed at. Um, but in a way, if you'd have said this six months ago, I'd have said, well, I've got an, I don't care about this at all, and it's a stupid idea. But after the wonderful nine weeks with The Last of Us that we had, where I knew the story back to back to front, obviously, playing the game and whatever, even if it was 10 years ago. It's a different medium. It's not like rebooting something for the sake of it in film form again. Mm-hmm. So, and 10 years, if you think about it, in a, in a 10 years doesn't seem that long, but if you were, if you were only, say, if you were six years old, if you were seven years old when Twilight finished... And you know, sixteen. That's there's your audience straight away. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, well, why, why does Mario sell every time? It's not just for old bastards like us buying it all over and over again. It's because there's a new generation of kids who want it as well, as well as the old people. So mm. I've got no real issue with it, and I think I've kind of mellowed on this now because you'll still have the films, you'll still have your your world if that was your set of films, like you, like. <laughs> My dad will always have his bond being Roger Moore. And yeah. So if, I'd rather they do this now that it's proved that how great TV is, um, especially with HBO. Yeah, I, I'm, it's got me intrigued, which watching the films at this point hasn't at all, especially with mm-hmm. Twilight. Mm. I, I thought Twilight was a bit of an odd one. I know that they will get a new audience because they do, and they will have their original audience. But it feels like no one talks about Twilight anymore, whereas mm. Harry Potter is still very much in the consciousness of, of most people. So I'm a little bit surprised at Twilight, but I'm not shocked at all with Harry Potter. It, it's more money. like That's literally all it comes down to, I think. It failed with the Fantastic Beasts series, so 
why not go back to the start? And plus, we're like 20-something years on from the first film. Like, imagine how much the CG has moved on in that period of time. So it should be more fantastical. I'll probably watch the Harry Potter one. I don't think I'll bother with the Twilight. But like I said, I thought the films were shit anyway, so it's not really for me. Speaking of cynical cash grabs, the untitled Shrek reboot, or possibly Shrek 5, I'm not 100% sure on this, because I've seen reports stating both ways. Uh, there is also an untitled Donkey spin-off movie in the works as well. It feels like a lifetime since we've had a interesting or even fun film from Mike Myers or Eddie Murphy. Why this? Why now, Stu? Because people like Matthew and his obsession with that Puss in Boots thing from last year. <laughs> There's your answer. I think it just seems a bit too late. Um, they're both very old now. Um, for when they're, they're old anyway, in, when it, the thing came out for what they were playing. But yeah, I think cynical is the um, cynical crash grab is the word um, or phrase because that's exactly what this is. It, Rebooting Shrek makes no sense. It's a CG animated film, so you don't need to reboot it. It's always mm-hmm. going to look as good as it, it does anyway. Yeah, pure money. Mm. Matt, I imagine Shrek hit you at the right age, at the right time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you have a fondness for the, the series, and are you looking forward to two more? Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely hit at the right time. Um and yeah, that Puss in Boots film was excellent, but does it make me like rush and want to run out and watch these? Not necessarily, um, but it certainly earned the right to have a look in, I think, because it was such an unexpected success, that Puss in Boots film, in terms of how good it was. And it was like worldly acclaimed for, from mm-hmm. everybody that watched it, like critics and audience alike. So yeah, but... You know, there's very little in film unless you're looking at an indie production that makes it for the love of the game, so to mm. speak. So that shambles of a series that you two enjoy fast, fast and <laughs> furious, fast or furious, fast and slightly furious, whatever they're calling their film. They're not making it for its artistic integrity. They're making it to be a money spinner. Well. So I don't think it's necessarily... <laughs> You know, it shouldn't be a shock that this film's coming out either. So, I'll certainly have a look on the on the run into it, but I won't be camping outside of Bentley Bridge to to see it on day one. Mm, that's fair. Um, like we just seem to be hitting cash grabs out of the park on this one at the moment. Obviously, the Little Mermaid was released today. <laughs> um, shout out to our good friend Ash and his uh, his lovely lady Mel, who have been to see it twice already. Um, but. This is about another Disney property. Moana remake is uh, has been announced. Dwayne's going to be back as Maui, but Aula E. Cravalio has taken the decision to step back. She won't be repri- reprising the role of, Mo- of Moana. Sorry, because um, so apparently she's Polynesian, but she's a mix of Polynesian, Portuguese, Irish, and Chinese descent, and she feels that role should go to someone who is purely Polynesian. So she's decided to take a step back. She's just going to be producing. Um, we've to- spoke about the live action remakes and the massive difference in quality that they seem to do. 
Moana feels like an odd one to me. It's seven years old and it hasn't aged a day since it was released. Are there other properties that probably should be getting this treatment before Moana, do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if if this is the way that it's going to go and everything's getting this live-action remake, then I think you go you go as far back and as classic as you can. I mean, mind you, I don't know how they fit Snow White and and the whatever the politically <laughs> correct version is for dwarves <laughs> these days on a film poster, but yeah, it seems like an odd one, really. But at the same time, it's kind of in keeping. I'm. Mean, this is going to sound. It's. This is going to sound really like. Like I'm, a Tory, but a council <laughs> voter, anti woke, and all the the buzzwords. <laughs> but it seems like the Moana story kind of ticks all the boxes in terms of a. Uh, how do I put this? In the, without sounding like a prick. It's just, it's the kind of story and the casting and everything else that ticks a lot of boxes of, of diversity for a film that people think, companies think that they need to be putting out, which actually makes no sense. Like, nobody cares. Like, the vast majority of people don't care who is cast as who, for example. Like, the mm-hmm. whole Little Mermaid thing, like, it's rational people don't give a shit. It's only the extreme edges of Twitter that you read that, that really care. And it just seems like Moana would be one of those ones where it would appeal to a, a studio to put out because they think it's doing the right thing from a like a diversity point of view. I'm not sure the point I'm trying to make it, but I just don't think it's yeah. There are there are different, there are far more suitable and worthy stories out there that have not really had that treatment that could be done that mm. have haven't had a lot of time. You know, people will probably still haven't seen Moana for the first time, let alone needing the reboot of it. Mm, it's a good point, actually. Stu, is there anything that you think deserves a lick of paint before Moana? I mean, things like Sword in the Stone would be perfect. Yeah, especially I, with. Same one I thought, actually. Well, you look at. <laughs> they were merging into one. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, especially when you look at how successful that um, Dungeons and Dragons film has been, has been, when everyone kind of think, well, especially us, this is going to be awful, and I ain't seen it yet, but I will. Um, but yeah, things like that are instantly spring to mind, and fair play to her for saying no because there's no need for it. No one cares. No one wants this anyway. And I know we've literally said, oh yeah, it's for a different audience, but this is not. It's for the same people because they're the same age, mm. and obviously. <laughs> The woman is too old to play Moana now anyway, so she wouldn't have been cast in the first place. Like why Ashley Jensen wouldn't have been cast as Ellie in The Last of Us because she's like nearly 30 years old. (laughs) It's just, it's one of them things, it's impossible, so you don't need it to waste everyone's time. I was quite relieved to see that it wasn't just us who thought this, like when it was announced on, on Twitter, a lot of the people, and I know Twitter is very much a microcosm, but I didn't see anyone who was singing its praises on Twitter, which there's usually some people at least. So I don't, I think it'll do well when it hits the cinema because of what it is. But I think people will probably see it in spite of themselves rather than because they really are looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, in a kind of like, I will go and watch The Little Mermaid because it looks awful. 
I, oh, it, look, it looks like the worst film of the, of the decade. And <laughs> for that reason, I'm going in an ironic way. Not the yeah. fact that it looks like a scene for seed remake as well. So it ain't like we are, you're going to miss every, anything by laughing at it. But it looks so bad. From the, I mean, the, the more trailers that have come up, obviously, trailer band doesn't count for things like this. But <laughs> the more they show, the worse it gets. Yeah, there's nothing about that film that is made. I mean, it's day one, and like I've said a million times, the original is one of my favourite animated films. I should have gone today, but eh, the trailers have done the exact opposite of what they're meant to do. Not not a good sign, not a good sign at all. Uh, moving on, Tarantino has been giving us a little bit more information on his final film. He said it will be based upon a real person. It won't be Pauline Kale, as was originally believed. It will be about a different film critic who wrote for a porno rag, which is in Tarantino's words. He said this critic was very funny. He was very rude. He cursed. He used racial slurs, but his shit was really funny. He wrote like he was 55, but he was only early to mid 30s. Um, and he died in his late 30s, likely due to alcoholism. Um, it's he's confirmed this is going to be his final film. It's called The Film Critic, I believe. Um, he has said that he will keep on writing, but he won't be directing any movies. He may do TV work, plays, may even write a novel, something like that. Stu, would you be sad that Tarantino is never going to f- direct a film again? Yeah, because... <laughs> It's one of the the rare occasions where something is actually unique and it doesn't matter, does it? It just doesn't care. It just does what he wants. Um, in that respect, you got to re- you have got to respect the guy for, for sticking to his laurels where he, he clearly doesn't need to. And he, he could get work for the next 20, 30 years for however long he lives for. But he always said this was going to be it, didn't he? he the, there was a cap on how many films he'd, he'd direct and fair play to him but yeah i suppose that there's something in the whole leave and wanting kind of thing as, as your legacy yeah before you uh t- make yourself into the villain as uh, two faces pointed out to us many times <laughs> but yeah yeah because uh, i do love tarantino and I, I, he's, he's got some questionable takes and um obviously this it, obviously it was going to be racial in some kind of we know yeah. we know who's going to be in this film already with yeah. it even being mentioned but yeah can't wait and yeah i will not looking forward to tarantino from will be sad it will it feels like tarantino is one of the few directors now that when a film of his gets released it feels like a big deal there aren't a lot of people like tarantino in my eyes anyway that it's an event when a new tarantino movie comes out Nolan. I'll be sad. I'll, I'll yeah, Nolan's one of them. Like you, you only get a Nolan, a Tarantino. You only get those films once every three years, maybe four years, um, and it feels big when you when that happens. Matt, how do you feel about Tarantino and his, you know, pending departure? Yeah, I think um, I think although I think the world's moved on from. Uh, uh, I think the world's moved on from the absolute heyday of Tarantino. Like, I really like The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I, the only reason I haven't seen all of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was because I fell asleep because I was pissed in the van. And I <laughs> um, like, 
that's the only reason, and I just never got round to watching it again. Um, but you know, the heyday of Reservoir Dogs and you know, Pulp Fiction and everything. You know, this was these these were these were the nineties, and you know, we'll come back to it later on in in the podcast, I'm sure. But um, I feel like it's go out on a high with something worthy of a legacy. Than it's better to do that because not everybody can swing and a miss and constantly purge out drivel like Nick Cage and still be a hero at the end of it and still be loved. Like that's really rare territory. And some directors can just repeatedly strike out and then leave their legacy in tatters. Whereas Tarantino has the opportunity to go out, do things on his terms and leave a proper legacy in film and not have many, if any, strikeouts on his records so yeah i think it's um a good time for him to pack that side of it in and then you know focus on other creative avenues mm. and it feels like the perfect film for him to go out on a film about someone who watches film like mm. everything we know about tarantino mm, yeah. he's a bigger film geek than you know all of us combined and times by a billion so it feels right that this is going to be his swan song and i'm really looking forward to it I mean, I know that it's still very early days and it, it, you know, it'll probably be a couple of years before we get to see it, but I'm already quite excited at the, the prospect of what we're going to get with it. Um, and finally, Lionsgate have also confirmed, as well as the two John Wick spin-offs, Ballerina and The Continental. Um, they're currently in early development for a new John Wick game and also they have started early development for John Wick 5. Matt, thoughts on this? I thought four was the perfect ending. Do, do you want to see it? What do you want to see? Talk to me. Well, pardon, pardon this pun, um, but I feel like the candle has both burnt both ends on John Wick. Um, I think it's it, like it seems like the great time now to leave. And again, another question we're going to ask a little later on. I, I think it's at the point now where you've you've ended things on a on a high in terms of quality you don't need to like constantly churn out re- repeated strands from something, but it's one of those, listen, the numbers don't lie. Why would you stop doing something if, if it's working, I guess, like if you're a studio or anything else. Um, but personally, no, I think, you know, some stories should just be kept at a constant, a constant high point and, and leave it be, but that's not what makes the world go around. Is it, Mm, sadly not. Stu, how are you feeling about another John Wick film? Mm. Torn, really. Um, the spin-offs, I was all in. Yeah, fine, great. Game, yeah. Bring it on, bring it... Make it like Max Payne, but modernised. Mm. Superb. Uh, it's, it's a John Wick 5 that's the issue 8, because I think going into the fourth one, it was like, okay, this is this is it now. This is a nice, nice rounded end to this mad eight years or whatever it had been. But I think any of us could kind of guess that it'd be as good as it was, and thought it was on a par with the first, maybe better. Mm-hmm. If you can keep that quality up, then obviously you don't stop there. Um, but then you, it's the risk that you fuck it up. That's the problem, because yeah. it was. I mean, seeing it reviewed as highly as it did as well, I mean, I'm 
couldn't care less about reviews, but everyone was talking about it. Even people who I know for a fact don't like them kind of films went to see it because it got the mind share and people were talking about it because it was so great. That doesn't happen very often. But then when that happens, you ain't going to say no on me. So as long as I can keep it relatively high quality, I don't think they can match that, what they did before. I think that would be impossible. But if you keep it around about a 7 or 8 out of 10, then yeah, fine. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, part of me wants to see more from that world. So I agree. I'm looking forward to Ballerina and the Continental. But John Wick's story's top been told. I don't need to see any more. And it, I worry that it's going to like cheapen the artistic merit of the story that was told. Like it, it was kind of a perfect arc, so don't revisit it. But as you've both pointed out, studios like to make money, and I'm sure that will make a fuckload of money like they usually do. Right, that's the news. Matthew, have we had any listener questions? We have indeed. Um Simon Gold wants to know. Um, now, this is an interesting one because we were, me and um, Stu were with um, Goldie last week, and I've got a photo of Stu. And I tried to get that photo for anybody who knows what it is. There's a, a meme of Sam Allardyce looking up at the chip shop menu. <laughs> and I tried to get that photo of Stu, but I couldn't get around his huge muscular physique to take the photo of him looking up. Um, but it was in a takeaway. And then, so there's a, there's a picture here of different chip shop and, and, and toppings. Now these are like, well, I say these are like anemic chips. These are 99% of chips around the UK. Like I didn't realize how small the catchment area was for orange battered chips. Yeah. Like, it, it, doesn't even re- it doesn't even reach out to Birmingham. That's no, bizarre to me. Mm. It's black country only. Yeah, this is it's it's wrong. It's really wrong. But missing out, isn't they? You've got chips. So which of the t- which of these is your topic of choice? Chips with curry sauce, gravy, cheese, peas, mayonnaise, or beans? I I like mayonnaise, but I wouldn't have it with. I mean, these look like chip shop chips, though, and that it would have to be with fries if it was mayonnaise. Mm. That's the only thing that seems right with proper chip shop chips. It's, it's got to be curry for me, but I don't want the curry poured on top. I want it in a pot separate so I can dunk correct. it myself. Correct, yeah. correct answer. Stu, are there any advance on that? Are these, hang on. Are these, is this just chips and nothing else? Is this what yeah. the, there's yeah, no chips with, a, yeah. There's no fish there, or there's no, if you're a mank, there's no balm cake. <laughs> or any, right, right, like it's literally just the chips in your polystyrene. What are what are the other ones? There's barn cake. There's there's batch there. There's batch mm. of Stoke thing. Um, Tatty pop. something. I don't know. Further north you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just chips in a tray. Um, yeah, just chips on their own. It has to be curry sauce, doesn't it? I mean, I I, I had one on Monday um, after the. After the shambolic effects of um, me with the uh, the yellow glasses last week, um, I, st- I was still feeling it a little bit on the Monday, so I went to the um, I went to the chippy and had a chip cob with curry sauce, which is premium food for champions. Which um, which chippy? Bottom. Okay. I've never I've never tried a, a chip cob with curry sauce from the top one. Actually, I might, might do that tomorrow. Um, 
I was thinking I could do it now, but it's closed. <laughs> um, yeah, curry sauce all day long. I mean, I, I think it's curry sauce, but I went, me and Sam went to King Fry yesterday. Now, and uh, the chips were awful. They were terrible. But it was like, it was one of those, I think it was a slow night. So they were kind of just, must have been sat in the oil for ages. Mm. Whereas if like you go there and it's like a busy night, and they're constantly turning over. Their, their chips are unrivaled. But I digress. Their curry sauce was amazing. It was absolutely quality. It was really good. Um, but i tell you what I did have today. Now, Stu, have you ever had the brown... I, I don't, I, tell me if I've talked about this before. I don't feel, feel like I have. Have you ever had the cobs from Marie's Deli down by the... Is it Marie's? You know the, you know, the little deli shop on the, in the Ashford Park precinct? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can buy these like brown cobs, and I've never known cobs to be like by appointment only. Sounds like a Bond film, <laughs> but like they are, they're like you have to order them in advance. You can't just walk in and get them. You have to order them like days before, um, and they're just the most incredible brown crunch, like crusty cobs yeah. in the world. You put some butter on those bad boys, and whatever you put in the middle just gets turned into. This woke me up. This as thinking about this. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's incredible so we had uh, I had a cheese and pickle cob earlier today and I had a cheese and pickle cob and then I had a crisp cob and that was basically my tea because we were being lazy and um, it was just incredible and you need to have it so I can imagine put some chips with some curry sauce on in that buttered special delivery cob oh my lord no there used to be um, used to be a bakery in Willingall where I used to go and my granddad on a Saturday morning and that was what he he went to win it all for for the for crusty cobs. <laughs> so you, you you couldn't get any rendy. I mean, there was a, a vacuum cleaning shop and a, and a bakery in winning all the, the two places he, he used to go next by the where the clock is, just further up from there. Obviously, our listeners in India, I've got no fucking idea what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's crusty uh, cobs. Uh, yeah. That seems to be another thing you don't seem to get many of them anywhere else mm. other than around here. Mm. Which so just it's a, especially Tara and our Coventry friends. You you might or might might not have got promoted at this point. Um, this is why the Black Country is better. Crusty cobs and orange I'm, chips. I'm going to have to venture out to that the land of Coventry soon because Electric Six are playing soon. They're not playing anywhere nearby, and like the nearest gigs Coventry, and I think I'm going to have to go. It's been ages since I've been over there. Like I don't like the trains run to Coventry. <laughs> no, I don't mean like because it's like the middle of nowhere. But like I only ever get a train to like Birmingham or to Shrewsbury. I never really go anywhere else on the train. So is it easy enough to get to? Is it like, they're regular trains? Yeah, it, it was um, eight pound seventy one when I went over there last year. Mm. Um, return and the, the station's all been done up and everything. It's actually respectable, um, but. It's it is such a strange place though because it it it's still classed as West Midlands, but it's clearly not, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's like the hinterland, like, like they're kind of yeah. grabbing on for for dear life to try and not be East Midlands like Leicester and, not, and Nottingham. They think they don't know their place. Like the other day when we had a, a Coventry bus, and I was in, inwardly furious that even on the display inside it said National Express Coventry, which that's e- an easy thing it's to not. change. Mm, isn't it bizarre that like Coventry and Leicester and Derby isn't just known as North Midlands? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, because they're north of us and we're quite northern for 
the Midlands, aren't they? So, yeah, you are right. They should be North Midlands. Yeah, this sounds like some kind of um, pro-evolution terminology, like when they didn't have licensing, (laughs) like North Midlands Blue or something like that. There we go. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, Matt Cuddington wants to know, a football question, the best and worst away grounds? Andy? Um, I think the worst one that I remember going to would probably be Valley Parade, Bradford. Hmm. Like the the back of the stand was all fucking open and everything. You could quite easily fall off the back of the stand and hit the ground. It was awful. I didn't. I quite liked um, Huddersfield, the McAlpine Stadium, or whatever it's known as now. John I think I, is that what it's called now. I, I went there. I've been there twice. The last time I went was when we lost and Van der Parra scored, and I got halfway to Huddersfield and realised as I was in the car. I've left my ticket at home. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had to ring mom to ring the Huddersfield and sort of said that way. So the only ticket I could get was like front row of the fucking stadium. It hammered down with rain for the whole thing. It was awful. But the time before that was when the only time we've won at their ground in forever. So I was there the last time we won at Huddersfield and it was a great day. It's almost like you can see wooded area from the, the stadium. It was kind of cool. So I, I quite like the Huddersfield one. Mm, about you, Joe. Yeah, it's it. I remember that because I was at the back and when they'd replace the scoreboard with a screen, but because it, the screen glowed against the ceiling, so every time it changed, you 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 look red. It's like a, some kind of epileptic disco going off. Um, I mean, the worst. I mean, I've been to Luton, which is why I don't want to go there again. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it'll be fun for people who haven't. So. No, not gatekeeping, but it's a proper shit hole. I mean, when me and Goldie went to some shocking places over the years, I mean, the, I said that story before on the fan cast about Luton. We went there and my, my uncle got gastroenteritis and literally shit himself and left his pants in the one cubicle for the entire away end, men and women, um, and then giggled to himself off. I did the motor and he was telling the story. But the veg field at Swansea, just just atrocious place. And you, you, we we played them once in a Worthington, Carlin, whatever it was then. Um, Ludo Polly, he was making his comeback from injury, I think, um, one of his last times. And you could see underneath. I mean, you can Google pictures of it. It used to be a two-tiered stand, but the t- behind the goal, but the upper tier was demolished because it was unsafe. So the the roof of the stand was actually the stairs of the upper tier that had just been kind of balsa wooded over. <laughs> but you could, if you looked up, you could see like the terracing from and like the stairwell that used to be there, and it, it was terracing. And the only food that you got was through this massive Kenko cup in the corner that through that you put you had to put your hand <laughs> through a little cage like you were feeding a bear <laughs> to get. Some kind of, I think it was a Yorkie and a pie at that time, and a bit and a tea. And the toilets were there was one, there was one toilet that was a literally a, you walked in and it was a, like a circular room where everyone stood in the middle and pissed up the wall. So everyone was back to back pissing against this, this wall and this kind of dome. Um, that was a bit grim. But then the other side you went in where the actual urinals were, and it was only like five foot eight. The roof, because it, it was built like 100 years before. So I, I physically couldn't stand in there. So there was no choice but to go in the dome. Um, the best, uh, 
the best is probably facility wise it's Spurs because it, that place is ridiculous. Um, it's 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 a farcical place for for that club to have that stadium. It's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair on them either because then they think that they're something that they're not. But it's not the Emirates, man. Before you even say that, that that's no. Um, you know what? It's probably Sunderland. I mean, I've been to 86 grounds in this country, so Sunderland is probably my favourite just for atmosphere. Everything about the whole day is just great, and there's never really any bit of any bother there. There's pubs and you're catered for, and it's there's just something about the stadium of lights. I think it's really, really good. When we've been behind the goal on the, the normal side and up in the gods where they put you now, yeah, stadium of lights, superb. Hmm. I like don't know if this is just a because of my experience of going, not necessarily the ground because it's it's pretty soulless. But Deepdale is awful <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I like it took us like six hours to get there because of some closure on the M6, and hmm. we drew like nil nil, and it was just it was an awful game. There was no atmosphere in the ground, and it's probably the one. It's probably one of the worst away days. Like up there with when. We went to Bramall Lane, and like, I don't mind Bramall Lane as a, as a stadium. Although, like that super low ceiling in the away end, like is really mm. proper shit. Um, but I think was it Cody got sent off within the first five minutes, and Neves missed a penalty or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that just fucking ruined the evening. And then it pissed it down as well. And we stayed over that night, and it was freshers. We couldn't get in anywhere because we were too old. That was like that just summed everything <laughs> up about that trip. Um, the, in terms of the best away venue, there is something about Ellen Road for me, like the carpet. <laughs> well, yeah, there that there is that, but it always seems to feel like an event every time I go to Ellen Road. Whether it be the result, like Leon scores were on the pitch, or there's like the start of the season where you just bump it, like because it's such a small contained like upstairs and downstairs in the like. You just bump into everybody. Like I've been to away games where I've not seen anybody that I know, even though everyone's there. But you just see everybody at Ellen Road because you're so contained, like cattle. And then the atmosphere is absolutely brilliant as well. You have got to give it to the, the Leeds fans for that as well. So yeah, I do like going to Ellen Road, and I think based on this weekend, I think you won't be seeing them in the Premier League next season. <laughs> so it will be a shame not to go to it because it was one of those games where it's far away enough. That you'd never struggle to get a ticket if you wanted to go as well. Mm. Like it's that it's that golden three-hour driving mark where people will buy the tickets purely to sell them. Um, so you'd never struggle to get your tickets there either. But there we go. Well, you said about Deepdale. We went there when it, well, I've been there when it's been. There's only been two of the the stands that are there now. I mean, we went there. Me and Dean went there, and they're the. The old grandstand thing where you had like a bit of a shed on top of some open terracing, mm. and they gave us half of that the first time we went there, and then the terrace like terracing with a bit of roof and some poles behind the goal, the other goal, um, and that got knocked. That was the last game of that, so I've got the program. I might I might sell that on in a few years for some desperate Preston fans. Um, but because we were in the shit, shitty stand there. He went to get <laughs> he went to get some food at half time because he because he was starving and we got we got there early enough and we went up the road and so there was a, apparently there was a great chippy in Preston so you go over this disused railway line over a crossing 
and there was this chippy and we queued around the corner and it was like proper newspaper chips as well. I thought, oh, yes, excellent. Um, but the, the guy was Chinese. I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be like one of them. And they, they opened his mouth and he was Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the kind of Chrissy Ulumo effect where you just don't expect it to happen. Mm. And again, that was a curry sauce night. But then he didn't they have anything. So half time comes, he went down to get some food and he, he comes back and he, he just has this bag, the, the, the paper bag thing that they had the, the roll over hot dogs in and they didn't have any buns. So he just had a sausage in a bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my That's entire terrible. life. That is, um, that is desperate. Um, and finally, David Evans, uh, James Gunn, given his success with ensembles, creating action yet character-driven films, and recent news that he's provided script notes on Marvel's recent big hits. If he wasn't initially fired by Disney, do you think he would have been the choice to write for and direct Avengers 4 and 5? Stu. Hmm. I don't, I don't think he would because it's not... It's very, it's very contained, the whole James Gunn Guardian stuff. Like mm-hmm. Avengers is very much the Russos now. Um, and barring fallouts and stuff like that, yeah, I'd kind of imagine that they, and the whole Kang stuff, um, that that would be the way they'd go rather than more like on the, the very edge of acceptable comedy that you get away with on the MCU rating board. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they would have done just for that reason. That it, it pushes it a bit too far for the vast majority of kids that watch these mm. things. Fair. I'm and- sure I read um, it wasn't to direct. I, I think around the time he got fired, um, Kevin Feige was being touted as going over to Star Wars to replace Kathleen Kennedy, and James mm. Gunn was going to replace Feige. Which I think would probably have worked better for Marvel because I think he's the one who understands characters most of all when it comes to like, especially when it comes to like when the Russos have used characters from other films, they're not the same characters, they're completely different people. They just fill a suit sort of thing is in a reason when the Russos have used characters and they really harm the characters in my opinions. So I think that James Gunn would have been the perfect person to replace Feige going forward. I, I don't know if he'd have directed the Avengers because, as Stu said, they do seem to love the Russos for some strange reason. So I think they'd probably have stuck with them. Fair, fair. Well, those are the questions for this week. Thank you very much for everybody getting in touch. And as we say every single time, it doesn't matter how silly or ridiculous or serious, we will answer your questions. So get them in on the socials. That's super. Thank you very much. Uh, Hot Take Corner. Also in Disney World, funnily enough, um, Bob Iger is attempting to save $3 billion and believes the way to do this is to drop around 50 of their shows from Disney+. Plus. Some of the shows include Willow, Turner and Hooch, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, The World According to Jeff Goldblum, The Film Cheaper by the Dozen, Encore, Why the Last Man, the list goes on. There is a lot of them. Um, many of these shows and films didn't have any physical release. So once they're taken from Disney Plus, the only way is via the high seas. Is this churn a good idea? Because it then gives some newer shows room to breathe. 
Is it an insult to the creators whose work will probably never be seen again once it's removed off there? How do you feel about this call, almost, I suppose, is the word? What do you think, Matt? Um, I don't have a lot of sympathy in terms of like the creators of the content. They had a job, they had a brief, they got paid, and, and that was that. I mean... If they get royalty on views, then it's a bit of a it's a bit of a different story. I, I believe suppose. that's where they're, they're saving the money yeah. is they're not paying residuals. Um, then it's a bit of a different story than in that case because it, it it can't be like data saved. You know, it's not like they've got they can unplug a load of SSD drives and then they save their money by not having it uploaded onto the. <laughs> Um, I don't know the the whole stream like it feels all of a sudden like the whole streaming world is coming to a grinding close I've had my notification that I need to pick which household my Netflix account (laughs) belongs to and thus I've served my notice to Netflix like it just feels like like me and Sam had a genuine heated debate about it being like well, I'll be really miserable if I don't have Netflix. I swear I watch like 90% of what I, I, I use. And I was like, I've got an IPTV account with <laughs> someone. Like everything is on there. But she's like, yeah, but Netflix like feeds it to you. There's adverts, there's trailers. It's like, it's it's the, it's the, and I agree with her. Like, you know, half the stuff I like she watched, she wouldn't know it didn't exist without Netflix kind of shoving it down, you know, down, down the, what the readers, the watcher's throat, I suppose. But, and so the, with the Disney thing, like if it's not there in a nice visible format for people to see, there's going to be things that people just don't know exist anymore, and that's and that's a problem, I guess, because it's like it's like the Metal Gear Solid Two storyline. To keep it topical, they're rewriting history with what they want to push out, and it will just be their new drivel, whatever comes out, and their latest of the franchises that they have. So, yeah, I think it is a shame, to be honest. Um, I think it's, there's going to be a lot of good things that push people either down the piracy route, which is or isn't a good thing, depending on which way how you feel about it, or people just won't have options to consume. And what did I say to you the other day, Stu? Like, I was in a charity shop and I was like, surely three quid for the three Nolan Batman films on Blu-ray. Like, what if I can't find it anywhere? Like, maybe people will fucking buy loads of charity shop DVDs again. Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Stu, you're a, like a big component of um, physical media. Like, you've yeah, got I've, quite a few DVDs and still buy them, don't you? I've uh, the whole Blu-ray thing. I've always said that in the odd occasion when the internet goes down and you are screwed, what do you do? Especially with, I mean, yeah, you could play games if the, if you've logged in within the last god knows how long, um, and that doesn't start being odd. But it wasn't just the picture quality because that's at this point it's kind of here nor there for the vast majority of the time. You, you unless you've got like laser eyes, you can't really tell the difference between streaming and physical. But like this morning, I ordered the three D three D Blu Ray of the Way of Water because why wouldn't I? And that is a it's a three D thing. You can't get that through streaming for whatever reason, probably bandwidth and demand because uh, it's a bit niche. But I, I, that was the one thing I was going to say, what, how were they saving money? But if it is 
viewership numbers, surely it'd be better to renegotiate contract and say, well, look, if you don't, then it's going to be pulled. Surely give the creators an option because other than keeping a few servers online, what 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 are they really saving from, from doing that? The whole thing's a joke. And I, I went to... Honestly, we'll get on to Fast X in a bit, but after watching that, I I never bought the Fast and Furious Crossroads game because it was panned and it got like three or four out of ten. But I just just out of curiosity, I went on to the PlayStation Network to just see how much it had been dropped to, and it's not there. It's been pulled. It's gone. Can't buy it anymore. And then, well, what? That was a single player game. Yeah, it might have been shit. But then, what are you left with? Well, you go to you go to eBay and buy it on disc, which is why we'll always say I will buy a machine like the new PS Five that's that's digital only with a disc drive add on. When that happens with a six, I'll get both because <laughs> if you've got a second hand market for things like this and they purposely restrict the option for you, then more fill them. That's on them then. And like when this came out, they're asking people to just. Steely, and is it stealing when it's not available anywhere else? No. How do you enforce that? Where's it? Who owns something that doesn't exist anymore? No one does. So it it just seems very petty. And if they are going to start doing this stuff, then you're going to see contracts, and you're going to see people striking, and you're going to, like the right to strike, and all this stuff. And it's going to go even further just to save a few few billion quid. With a company like that, that's rolling in, in DuckTales money, like even that DuckTales that took DuckTales away, you can't buy that game. That the one that the remaster with uh, by Way Forward on PS3, you can't buy it anywhere. Well, I've got it on my, my on my PS3 there. Obviously on Xbox, it's saved forever. But there's no way of playing that on a PS5. You can't do it. It's gone, gone forever. I've got the Sunday afternoon collection. Um, yeah. So that's that, that's how I've got the the Ducktales ones, and Chippendale, which is amazing. But you are right; like that, it's almost like the companies feel they know better than you. And the stuff there that I wanted to watch and probably will never get round to at this point, which is pretty sad, really. So, to the high seas, it is unfortunately, but they kind of force your hand, and you wouldn't mind so much if that then meant that your prices were going to come down at, on our side of things, but. That's never going to happen, is it? The prices yeah. will go up again next year and there'll be even less. But then there'll be more because there'll be more hashtag content thrown at you that you'll probably <laughs> never get to see anyway and it will be dog shit because it's just filling a void that they have created themselves. I, I think it's kind of sad and I feel like they're doing it to spite the writers who are currently striking. So more power to the writers and all the people who are supporting them at the moment. Um, yeah. It's not right that those at the top are making billions and everyone else is getting peanuts in comparison. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, moving on to this week's non-film question, which is yours, Matthew. Um, quite simply, do we need to fear AI? And I don't mean this in a GB News sense <laughs> of the word, like ticker tape. Oh, they're coming there, stealing our jobs. Um, though, I'm jabs. Sure, though I'm sure if GB News could, they would imply that AI was black if they could. Um, <laughs> however, um, in, you know, in the rise of ChatGPT and other 
mediums like that that wrote my cover letter for an interview I had recently in 30 seconds. And it was the greatest thing I'd ever not like, that I didn't write in in the history of anything I've ever put together. And I consider myself a pretty good writer. Um, are we? Is there something to fear about AI and what comes in the future? I don't mean this in the Skynet sense of the word, but in terms of what it does for um, the arts and other things like that. Like you see, like AI created songs now and 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 pictures and all sorts. If you're a creative mind, do do you have do you fear AI, Andy? Kinda. Um... I mean, there's there was talk about AEW having recently released some T-shirts, and there was rumours that they used um, like a, a AI art generate. I don't know what the term is for it, but yeah, someone used an AI to create this art, and that is taking money out of people's pockets who actually do creative stuff for a living. Um, and I think it's a thing that all business adapts to whether it's AI or lean or whatever, they try to get cut away as much fat as possible so their profit is higher and they don't have to pay you as much money. So I think whether you do it in a creative field, whether you do it in accountancy, whether you do it in a Weatherspoons, whatever, they will find a way to limit your job so they pay you less and they can just pay a nameless, faceless company a tiny bit of money in comparison because it's easier to pay someone to do a million jobs than it is to pay you as a single person to do one job. Mm. So I do feel like there is that kind of worry. Um, It'll be used for bad because the people who can manipulate these things generally are arseholes. Like they tend to be psychotic when they get to the top of the, uh, the ladder in these businesses. So AI is a wonderful tool. As you said, you used it to create a cover letter. I used it to do a presentation. And there's some wonderful things on there, funny and useful. But there's always people who will try and abuse the system. And I fear that it's not AI that's the issue. It is the people who will be manipulating and using it who is the uh, the, the problem here. Mm. Stu, is there a force for good when it comes to AI in terms of like being able to use it as a social tool and for for people that struggle in a social capacity or is it a dangerous precedent to kind of for people to have a relationship with AI and you know knowing it's not real and the kind of world you know you you've you know you're the only one here that's got kids as far as Andy's aware the top shagger <laughs> but it, it, like do you know? Do you worry about like that with your kids and and growing up and what that world will look like for them when they're old enough to kind of make their own choices and consume things at their own that they can afford to buy the, those things themselves and stuff like that? Um, I think they've kind of grown up with it always being there, so it's not this the scary end of the world doomsday for them. Um, it's weird because. Like you, you could use it for a force of good because you can, if you use it as an assistant, which is what it's supposed to be. Um, like if it's if you give it a few words, like that the rugby guy who was paralysed, who the, his mate carried him over the finish line for that marathon the other the, last week. Like he's got motor neuron disease, and obviously he's not going to be around for much longer. 
sadly, but for communication wise, if there's a way to program it to then understand what you're hinting at trying to say, then there's there's your great there there you go. Wonderful, straight away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like going to an arty way again, I watched a Coda Crew video earlier, which yeah, that's a funny YouTube channel, but well the guy said something that took him that would normally take him three weeks took three days with AI just to create special effects and to map an alien onto a, a human body, take the human out of the frame without doing the composite shots and all that kind of stuff. And he just did it like that straight away. And yeah, there was a bit of blurriness because it's, it's new and like, like face app is a bit of a joke, but we saw the technology for face app and stuff like that. A gadget show about 10 years ago at the, the NIA, at the NEC when me and Goldie went and it was brand new then, and it was like, oh, this is going to change. And it's not. It's, no, it's a silly app, but now you've got AI that you can map onto bodies, and you can, like that Oasis album on YouTube, that someone fed AI samples of Oasis songs and got them to write a new album as if Oasis had done it. He <laughs> listened to it, and it's not too ridiculous to wonder, to think that it it could have been like a lost tape or something it's mad it's mad how quickly it, it's happened within the last six months because no one talked about chat gpt and t- the first time i heard of it it was the safe park episode about it and then you look into it and you think okay fair enough it can do all these good things but when you've got people who who are actually clever Saying that it needs to be reined in a bit. Yeah, it ain't gonna get Skynet because you all old Matrix, and you just you will pull the, pull the plug. And it's like when you put that with a, in a Boston Dynamics robot, and the end is nigh, and all that stuff. I think that's gonna happen, but it's gonna put a lot of people out of business and a lot of people out of work. And what happens then? Crime mm. and death. So from that point of view, it needs controlling. But who does that? Good point. Yeah. There we go. Um, well, from my point of view, like the, the AI side of things is, that, again, to, to Andy's thing, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, I guess. Um, there's a there's there's a possibility for great things when it comes to kind of the AI world, but is it confidence that it's going to be within the right hands? I'm not sure. And, you know, a lot of scam artists out there, they'll probably be using it and stuff like that. But then at the same time, like I'm going to be really quick with this. I had a really... Sh- like sweet but bittersweet interaction with this little old 84 year old woman in Sainsbury's today who couldn't bend down to pick up like Sif. Sif wasn't there and she was like, I'm blind as a bat, I've got glaucoma. And she just needed someone to talk to clearly. So I was, I was there for about 20 minutes with her and just talking to her. And she, she like had this mad life and her husband had died 20 years ago. Her son died two years ago from a heart attack. She worked for New Cross before New Cross was New Cross. She worked for the Red Cross before it became, and then it became New Cross. She worked from there from when she was 18 until she retired at 84, and she's 88. And it was just, and I just think like this woman clearly just needed someone to chat to and to talk to. So I was there for like 20 minutes in like the, the bloody cleaning aisle in Sainsbury's, just talking to this sweet little old woman <laughs> today. And you know, you know, if AI could be used in a wholesome way, to like give people who need 
just a voice to listen to and to talk to. That'd be a great thing. But that same AI could then be used to scam that woman out of all of her life savings and be so realistic in doing so. And I just think that's the danger of these kind of things. Like for people that don't understand new technology, it can be a really dangerous thing as well. So I hope like, you know, the people that have the power and responsibility, like, you know, know, banks are so hot on fraud and stuff at the moment. And you try and use your online banking app now. You basically got to go through who wants to be a millionaire to send money anybody to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that there's, you know, there are measures that are put in place for that for, um, you know, for people to use it. But there we go. That sounds like the um, that Black Mirror lost the bandolino or something like that. Where they're in the AI, yeah. No, not Bandersnatch. The one, the one where they're in the the VR world. Uh, oh, okay, li- yeah, yeah. They're living in the VR world more than they are in the real world because it's better. And there's AI in there and mm. all that kind of thing. That sounds exactly like what you're just saying. Mm. Yeah, it does. I, like, I think that's half the problem is I've watched too many episodes <laughs> of Black Mirror. So anything <laughs> like this does worry me a little bit. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on then. So what have you been watching lately, Matt? Um, so I watched Ted Lasso. By the time this goes out, we'll be two days away from um, the finale of season three. Um, so we'll probably talk about that ad nauseum um, when it comes when it comes out. But I've really been really enjoying this series and the end. Uh, whilst she's nigh, um, I said to Sam only the other day, like I wish I could close my eyes and it'd be Wednesday because I'm really looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> I'm also watching Silo, um, which is basically the story. These people have always lived in the silo. The silo has been there for like hundreds of years. They don't know anything about the outside world. And they believe the outside world basically will kill you when they're in the silo for their own safety. Um, and it's a story about that. And it's this like unraveling story, a bit like Lost, I guess. It very much asks more questions than it answers within the first few episodes. But the cracks are starting to uh, to appear in the, in the story. And what's on the outside? Are they all being fed lies and stuff like that? But it's just a really good, interesting story without like, without the Hollywood special effects of explosions and everything else. Like whilst it's in this world, that's completely alien to us. It's not, it's not full of gimmicks and, and stuff like that to keep the story going. It's just a really well done story. I'm really enjoying it. I watched the latest episode next comes out on a Friday on your, um, on your special means of how you get your shows and uh, watched uh, the other one today and it was excellent. So I really would recommend it. If you're one of these that needs to see a series out before you start watching it, though, you might have a bit of time because it's really, it's weekly episodical at the moment. Oh, super. It's just a really good silo. That's been on my list, but it's just finding time, especially when all I've been doing is playing God of War all week. So, <laughs> <laughs> Stu, what have you been watching? Um, it's been it's been wall to wall football with the playoffs, really. So, which is, I mean, <laughs> that Sheffield Wednesday game is just. Absolutely outrageous. I mean, there's no, there's no other word word for it. I mean, it's for Guardiola to start talking about it in his press conference as well. I mean, he's he's a proper obsessed. Eh? I mean, he's sort of about Ted Lasso. I actually that was great that episode, the last one, and he was remarkably good in it as well. <laughs> Just strange. Yeah, um, usually when you get, especially someone who isn't an actor, they're so stilted at delivering their lines, but he felt quite natural. I thought. 
I mean, it's the Alan McCoy's factor. Maybe that's that's the trick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've I've been up and down with this. I mean, I've some episodes I've really not. I've been bored with others, like the the like the Amsterdam, then the, the coming out one, and then this one this week has been really good. Um, it's just a different show to what it was originally, which has been my problem. But yeah, it's you can't you can't deny the quality. I just haven't enjoyed it as much. Um, but this week was good. Um, I finally got ready to watch it air at last after being badgered about it. And yeah, just echo everything you've both said about it. Really, really good. But I don't really know what I expected of a film like that. That when, you, when you're saying, oh, it's, it's the best film film that we've had this year. Yeah, it's a subject about signing a, a contract with trainers. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, this isn't going to work. But it absolutely does. And it was great. Um, but was it as great as Fast X? And that's the big question because no, it wasn't because nothing else is going to be as good as Fast X because that was fucking madness. From <laughs> when, <laughs> like you said, when when you when you're driving down a dam <laughs> with your son who's a different color to what he was in the last film, and it's not been the most ridiculous thing about this franchise. It says something about it, and it takes every box that I loved every second of it, and my no. Trailer policy worth a treat again, um, but it's after how much we moaned about Fast Nine a couple of years ago. It's the complete opposite. I walked out giggling to myself, and like I said, I tried to buy Crossroads because I wanted more straight away, even though I know what that is is bad. But yeah, I'll, <laughs> just massive smile on my face for the vast majority of that film. It's just just wonderful. Yeah, I, I completely echo your sentiments. I was kind of worried because Nine was so boring. I thought, is this just going to be a continuation of it? But it was exactly what I want in a Fast and Furious film. It was just silly, big, bombastic. Jason Momoa looked like he had the time of his <laughs> life. And it, it really showed on screen, like, the fun was there. And that, that's all I want from Fast and Furious. Like, I want to be able to just switch my brain off and it just be fun. I don't want to think too much about it because if I do, he's driving down a dam for crying out loud. It doesn't make sense. So no, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Even like the couple of minor quibbles I had are so minor that they're inconsequential. So no, it it was fun. I'd said to someone on Twitter that I think the reason that nine was so devoid of fun is because this one was twice as fun as any other film. It's like they saved it all up for this one. It was brilliant. Really, really good, enjoyable fun. Um, what was less enjoyable, but I still really liked the film, was Bowie's Afraid, the new Ari Aster film. Mm. It's incredibly fucking weird. And if you... I don't Have either of you two seen Mother, the Darren Aronofsky film? Not yet. The one, is that the one with... Jennifer um, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I struggled with that, but Bowie's Afraid is very similar to it. I think this is one that I will appreciate again if I watch in a couple of months' time because there is so much symbolism, so many hidden Easter eggs, and like the kind of thing that I like in a film. But it was also very self-indulgent, and I think a lot of people will hate this film. But 
I think it'll be one of two things. You'll love it or you'll loathe it and there'll be nothing in between with this movie. Like I imagine the Rotten Tomato score will probably be about 50% because it'll be either side of the argument. I really enjoyed it. I think Joaquin Phoenix is a phenomenal actor. He's very interesting in this and he gives a wonderful performance. It has some of the comedic elements that Midsommar has, which I know is a weird thing to say, but I do think that Midsommar is a comedy more than a horror. (laughs) It does tie in some of those kind of off-the-wall, really thick, black comic elements to it. Patti LuPone was phenomenal in this, and Richard Kind's in it. I'm such a big fan of Richard Kind. He's the kind of guy who I just always smile whenever I see him on screen or on in the cinema. So it was great. But I very much stress it is not for everybody. If you've seen Mother and you didn't like it, maybe give it a miss. If you're not an Ari Aster fan, probably isn't going to work. But I enjoyed it, and that's all I can say really for that one. And the other film I wanted to mention was one called Marry, Fuck, Kill, which has got a 3.6 on IMDb. It's absolute trash. It was awful. They tried to have the game Marry, Fuck, Kill, but it it had um, roots in like the 1600s in America. Like it was a curse that they used and some woman was actually a ghost and was using this curse to kill people. It was just... It was on uh, IPTV, and there was nothing else on, so I thought, I'll give that a go. It was atrocious. I enjoyed it, but it was atrocious nonetheless. That sounds like some kind of Shudder thing. Yeah, I mean, like, even Shudder would turn it down. It (laughs) it wasn't even to their level. It was just insane. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to our individual questions. I'm up first, and my question to you, fellas... What film defines the 1990s and why? Stu? I mean, the, the first thing that, that jumped out of, uh, out of my head for this was probably does sum up the 90s for me. I mean, you're going to think mid-90s were what? Formative years. Um, 12-ish, say. So early teens. Um, and yeah, you've got things like the serious films like Usual Suspects, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, all that stuff. And like, I'm guessing that Matt's going to say Forrest Gump anyway. Um, <laughs> but you've got all that kind of stuff. But for me, the 90s was just mental. It was just big colours, more than the 80s was, but with a bit more style and finesse. And so the thing that's... And obviously you had the CG element as well, which is, rel- well, was new post-93 with Jurassic Park, really. So the most 90s film I could possibly imagine, other than Austin Powers, is The Mask. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting you to say. No, it, but you think about it. What is The Mask? It's Jim Carrey pissing about. It's ridiculous over-the-top CG. It's bold colours. It's Cameron Diaz. It's exactly what you want. Yeah, it's a good show, to be fair. You are right. Like, I mean, it's a comic book, isn't it? Come to life, like, quite literally. But Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not where I was expecting you to go with it, but okay. Matt, what defines the 90s for you and why? Great minds. Great minds think alike, Stu, because um don't don't know why, but the second I read this question, 
there's something about Mary. Um, And it's, yeah. And I think I watched Lee Evans live in Scotland the other day again. And it's my favorite one of his. And it is so set in its time. And obviously Lee Evans is in this. Cameron Diaz as well that is it. And like just the whole feel and vibe of that film is just screams the 90s. And like Matt Dillon as well as an actor (laughs) is just the 90s. Um, I think Ben Stiller is the only one that like transcends that into the 2000s, barely by the skin of his teeth. But even the cover of the something about Mary just it just looks like that that 90s vibe to it again, like color but simplicity at the same time. Um, I wanted originally to say The Matrix, but The Matrix was the gateway to the 2000s, and it yeah. was meant to be that. Yeah, it was that, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, there's something about Mary is is my quintessential '90s film. Yeah, I don't know if the film defines the '90s or the other way round. I, I, yeah. I don't know which one influenced which, but yeah, again, that's another top shout. Like, I really wanted to say Heat because it's all the big actors doing all the best thing at the right time, and it was perfect, but. I'm a little bit more with Stu when I I think of the '90s. I was thinking of the the mesh of colours where you had like you had quite bright colours and it was like the '80s grown up. But you also mm. had the people who were our age coming up, and it was like almost not grungy, but maybe grungy is the right word for it. And the first film that came to my mind of the clash of two different things was Romeo and Juliet. Especially because it would have been Leo DiCaprio. Plus. (laughs) Yeah, plus, yeah. Um, Obviously, Leo DiCaprio was about to become the hottest shit in the world at that point, and the woman whose name has just left my mind, Claire Claire Danes. Danes. Yeah. Uh, Claire Danes, who went on to become a very good, very grounded actor in pretty much everything she does, which kind of feels out of place in this now, but Romeo plus Juliet feels like the film that defined the 90s for me even though it wasn't it's not a film i have any great affiliation towards it just there's just something about it both visually and like just at the back of my mind that when i think of it i think of those pair dressed in their fancy dress party things it just seems to be so indicative of that mid 90s era for me we watched that in school <laughs> yeah really the letters, but looking at it, it's only a 12. I thought it was a lot higher than that. I thought it was a 15 at least. No, but... I think it was one of the first 12s, like it was quite an early 12, if I... or 12A maybe, might be yeah. one of the first 12As. But yeah, we, we definitely we watched it in English, um, obviously. Um, and we had some other lesson was cancelled, so we could have it like two back to back. Um, it was probably probably PE was moved or something like that, but I remember sitting there for two hours in in the porter cabins that we had at the time, um, watching that in high school. It's amazing. Love that film. Mm, is there anything like more nineties than Love Fall by the Cardigans as well? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, very much so. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent shout to be honest. Awesome. All right, uh, Stu, you're up next, please. Well, mine was kind of like when you mentioned the Lost City last week, um, just in, in passing, and like it, it was a reference point. And 
and Jungle Cruise and Uncharted. And it's like the return of the globetrotting adventure film that we haven't had for a long time. And it doesn't even seem like a 90s thing. It was an 80, like late 80s with like Jewel of the Nile and Romancing the Stone and them kind of films that we haven't had for years. And now all of a sudden they seem to be back. So I'm, I was thinking about it and I'll even change my answer tonight. <laughs> Just talking about this now. But if you could have a, a rebirth or a, a return to a, a certain genre or style of film, what would it be, Matt? I want to see more of the set on earth alien invasion film. I feel like we haven't had a decent one in absolutely ages and I still feel burnt by the battle for Los Angeles. Like so many years on, like, I just don't feel like we've had a decent one for for ages. Like how long ago was signs released? (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just, it feels like we, we've, there's just no appetite for the alien invasion film at the moment. And I can't think of the last one that springs to mind that wasn't one that was like set in space that they then came to Earth, or it wasn't, you know, it's an alien adventure in space. Like the one where they are at Earth, we're being invaded by a, I don't know. I just feels like that we haven't had that world in in so long, and I think there's a there's a place there for it. Sky, is it not Skyline? Is he Sky? Oh, Another one you're on. No, about. yeah, the one with. Um... Donald Faze on. Is that the one? That sounds familiar. Um, there was a sequel to that, and I never saw the sequel. Um, Skyline 2010. It was awful, wasn't it? Didn't he turn into an alien at the end of it, if I'm thinking of the right Skylines. one? Skylines. Yeah, they were taking the brains or something? I can't remember. I just remember the alien was sucking off um, the blue brain out of people's heads. That they made a sequel to it beyond Skyline, yeah. which apparently was dog shit. Well, I mean, the first one wasn't great, but it's yeah. it's higher. The second one is higher rated than the first is at a really? five point three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, District Nine and that was the last ones that I could think of that was anything to do with that, and that wasn't mm. really an invasion either. Yeah, that's a weird one. It just seems to have lost all kind of. There was a series with the yeah that. The long-haired guy at a lost as well, the kind of colony, that kind of... Uh, mm. That died death. That got cancelled as well. Mm, yeah, it's just something you don't see a fat loss of anymore. Whereas like, it, it felt like it was a staple of 80s, 90s cinema. Mm, Especially exactly. like Starship Troopers, and I know that was obviously set on foreign planets, but we don't see a lot of that type of alien film at all. Mm. Uh, my pick and, and this might just be because the little mermaid's out today i want to see cell shaded animation i want to see traditional sorry uh, hand-drawn animation back like it's nice to see everything all shiny and like the water looks like water in moana and it's incredible and amazing but i also miss the days of yore where we used to get proper animators doing stuff by hand and then you'd get the sh- the cells and they'd flick through. And like I miss that time. There's something so warm and inviting about those films that you don't get with the CG leaden movies of today that can feel a little bit cold. I mean, something like Lightyear, there's nothing about that film that makes me want to jump in the world and become part of it. And a lot of films sort of feel like that now, that they don't have that 
they're, they're almost trying to be too human-like, which kind of defeats the object of animation for me. So I'd miss that. And I know we get some of it in like probably the more Japanese-named um, animation studios, like Studio Ghibli and what have you. But I think I've got a barrier that I need to get over that I've never really been able to click with that type of film. So I would like a traditional American studio doing your hand-drawn animation. What I think will be the return of a genre, though, I think the Western is due a a comeback. Yeah. Yeah, other than other than Tarantino, no one's really done it, have they? There's been like a few again no. remakes of other things, and you're we're getting Blazing Saddles too. Um, <laughs> not now. Um, yeah, that that was my original one. Thinking about it and thinking of the the looming, daunting prospect of playing Red Dead Redemption Two at last, and it's yeah. sitting there looking at me every day, and I think, nope, too long, not yet. Too too many other things to do. But I think that we, the traditional animation thing, I think it's just so expensive to do. I think that that's the problem. And a bit like where where you get these 16-bit 16 retro games that come out and they, they're all, the vast majority of them are like that kind of like 2D, 3D kind of thing where it's 3D visuals but a 2D plane mm. where it's very rarely pixel art because pixel art is too expensive to make. It's just unfortunate, really. I mean, there's a, a guy who might, it might be worth asking him if he wants to come on, actually. Um, he used to work for Sesame Workshop, and he's an animator. Um, oh, cool. So he's doing a few different things. I'll, I might ask him, see if, see if he fancies it, because he's on the other, sort of the last stand stuff, and I've, I've dealt with him a few times over different things. Um, but like he said on their shows and stuff about how how expensive animation is and just the demand for it. Mm. So it's, it's almost like it's too niche. The people who enjoy it would really enjoy it, but are there that many of them around? But again, if you don't try, how do you know? Yeah. So okay. It's proper catch 22, but yeah, going off Westerns, I think my answer now is the nineties film. <laughs> it is. The, there's something about Mary, the American pie the, that kind of what it's even a genre really is it? it's kind of like the it was a bawdy comedy for the nineties really it was its own thing like where it and a change into the jackass and the kind of gross out humor that we still kind of get now we probably hot tub time machine was probably the last one mm. that kind of thing and you know, the the hangover films are similar in a little bit but it's not quite got the same vibe. Tries to be a bit too grown up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's something. Difference, yeah. There's something about that, and I think it probably wouldn't hit that well now. Where we need, well, you are, um, forties, but it gets to that where the kids who grew up watching them films are making them themselves, and we've got to be approaching that kind of time soon. So it will happen. Just make it happen soon. (laughs) I think. Your Seth Rogen might be like the closest to it. Yeah. But even he's a little bit more socially aware. Is that the right term? That he tries to do something a little bit deeper than just the slapstickiness of something about Mary. 
Um, but like, I, I pulled up a list earlier because I was trying to think of like, is there any other genre that I'd, I've obviously overlooked? And one of the genres that is on the list, the parody movie. And I remember for a time yeah. that was everywhere. I mean, they were all dog shit. But <laughs> like, I mean, don't you know, you, your classics, your airplane, your naked gun, fantastic. But then when Scary Movie came in, it just nosedived. But there was always at least one every year, whether it was Scary Movie, Epic Movie, Disaster, you know, whatever it was. And that completely vanished. That's one that I hope we never get to see again because <laughs> that that genre of film was not good. Hot Shots Part 2. Uh, yeah. I think anything after maybe about 1994 in the parody movie uh, world never really worked for me. No. I think mm. that's that's probably post-internet world where you get it every day anyway. Yeah, it, it's memifying films, isn't it? And yeah. obviously you get memes on TikTok and everything. So, yeah, I, that's a very good point. Uh, Matt, your question lastly, please. Uh, so which uh, film or TV franchise for you that is putting out good quality content is at risk of jumping the shark, Andy? Now, it's no surprise that I'm going to go with something within the Marvel Universe, but I, I want to be quite specific about this because I think the Marvel Universe in general have probably gone that a bit too far. Um, Spider-Man, I think, is in danger of becoming too much. Um, we've had a lot of Spider-Man over the years, haven't we? I mean, when you look back to the first Sam Raimi film, which wasn't that long ago, to now be like... 12 films deep maybe even more and like i'm really excited for spider-verse and the new game looks absolutely incredible but then you've also got all the tacked on stuff that sony have been doing in the spider universe with morbius and they're bringing in you know i I enjoyed venom for the silly nonsense it was but it's not a good film and the films that Marvel have put out feel kind of shoehorned into everything as well. Like, they're good, but they're very reliant on nostalgia. If you take away the nostalgia, there's not a great deal there. So I'm a little bit worried that the films might end up just keep going and hitting this nostalgia dopamine hit. And it's going to kind of ruin everything else. So the one thing that... The only reason that I'm kind of confident with the Across the Spider-Verse is because that's Miles Morales, that's not Peter Parker. So I do feel that at least feels kind of fresh in that world. And maybe that freshness is what will save it. But if it just carries on doing the same shit it's done time and again, that Peter Parker's got to save Mary Jane and they fall in love and fall apart, and then I feel like Spider-Man is on shaky ground in the cinematic world. Mm. That's fair. Stu, what about you? I mean, it would have been Fast and Furious, but that that's literally jumped everything. <laughs> Not just sharks. <laughs> and come back and made it even worse. And yet it's still amazing, and we've only got one, maybe two left anyway. Um, so and this might be... Are just two films a franchise or a series? I don't know. But... I do worry that Sonic 3 is not going to be as good as the, um, especially Sonic 2, which was incredible. 
um, surely with the how the Mario movie went, and it being a very different kind of tone to it, is that are they going to be influenced? Are they going to be able to keep themselves to themselves on and not kind of blend other things in? Like Space Channel Five woman, is that going to appear somewhere? And you know what I mean? Is it? Are they going to be able to resist it? Because uh, you can kind of see where it could go with everything has to be connected to each other now and they've avoided it so far other than the Sonic characters. That's my big worry about that now because the Mario movies, it's his own special thing and especially though it's available everywhere and you don't have to leave your own house to go and watch it. And in the same vein that Deadpool 3, hmm. is it going to be... I, mean, I, I like the second one. I know a lot of people didn't like it as much. Um, but I enjoyed it. But it is now the rexamification of it all. <laughs> and it's obviously going to be mentioned in the third film. And it, it, does that go too far? Do, can this, can something that's based about being self-aware be too self-aware? I don't know. It might be too cringe. But again, the, the, it's it's a bit of a worry. Especially now it's all, will Disney let him get away with everything that he wants? Some of the points as well. So I'm more worried about that film than any other, really. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, for me, and it, like, it, it's two films too much. Well, mine's one series and a weird offshoot, and that's anything revolving Squid Game. Because <laughs> um, we had that Physical 100 show that came after it, that mm. like... It's obviously nothing to do with Squid Games, but heavily influenced by it at the same time. And like this screams um, Battle Royale Requiem. Um, like I just think already at this point now, straight away, like we lived like Squid Games was the last bastion of COVID, in my opinion. It was like the last mega show that came out that had everybody going wild in just a a time period like in between making a murderer tiger king and squid games <laughs> like and i feel like that was the last straw it was the last episode of nitro with the simulcast it was <laughs> it was like and i just think they should just they should just leave it there and they're not obviously are they they've already come out and it's like it's i think it's that too far away and i think all enough is enough with that now where i think whatever they do with this new series will just I just can't see it working, and so I, you know, kind of show jump the shark after one series. I think we'll find out. Mm. I think what you mentioned there with making a murderer, I think that changed a lot of things because you've got a load of them now. Mm. Like we start started watching the Texas Killing Field from last year, and that's literally an unsolved murder. It's four parts, and yeah, it, it's mental about all the stuff. But there's another one about the 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 the, um, the family the. Is it Murtaugh Mooders or something like that? Um, not Murtaugh. That's, um, that's Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, yeah. <laughs> so, something like that. M- Murdor or something Murdoch, like that. Murdoch, yeah. Murdoch family murders in South Carolina or one of the Carolinas where Jafel <laughs> went to. Um, but that whole thing, it's like it, it's the same kind of format where each episode builds and then there's something more mental at the end to keep you hooked. And it's very making a murderer playbook, and there's loads of them now, and it's weeding through the the nonsense to get to the good ones because there's so many because they did 
hit lightning with a bottle with that, that show and Tiger King of let's find these mad weirdos and make a whole series about them. And it doesn't work. Yeah, it's overexposure now and it, it harms the, the it's not going to harm the original because there ain't going to be any more. But with Squid Game 2, will it be as good again? By that point, are we going to have too much? I do wonder, like, where they can go with Squid Game 2, because, um, like, I've not seen the third and fourth Hunger Games films, but I've read the book, so I know that the last like, the last book isn't really about the games, it's about the world, and that kind of feels like what Squid Game has to be, because mm. if he just goes back into the game and we do it all again, like, kind of what's the point? I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see them play different schoolyard games, but that quickly gets tiresome and a bit irrelevant. Hmm. So he now needs to go for the president or you know the, the president equivalent from Hunger Games. So, yeah, I, I think that's a real good shout. And we're also going to get the, the normal human people who play Squid Games show as well aren't we they're not going to die in it but they're going to get <laughs> eliminated so we're going to get a version of it and I, they are going to flog that horse till it's you know well and truly dead yeah. and it, it might be hosted by philip schofield at this point who, who knows yeah well his career will probably be as dead as uh, half the characters <laughs> so yeah <laughs> super Right, okay, I can't find my quiz book. I've left it somewhere, and I don't know where. So we'll uh, do a quiz next time we're up and available. But uh, the next podcast, we will be watching a film called Joe. It's one we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which was in Nick Cage's top five of his personal films. An ex-con who is the unlikeliest of role models meets a 15-year-old boy and is faced with the choice of redemption or ruin. I'm really looking forward to this. Like, I didn't know much about it, but hearing Cage speak so highly about it, I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, you can rent it or buy it. It's available in all the normal places. Check justwatch.com uh, to see where it is streaming near you. Make sure you've got us on the socials at CageFightingPod. And if you've got any questions, contact us at CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Uh, please make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcatcher you're listening to so you don't miss an episode and finally thank you very much for spending your bank holiday monday tuesday whatever day you're listening to it just thanks for giving us the time we really appreciate it but this week matt would you like to say goodbye take it easy everybody look after yourselves have a great and uh, profitable weekend Stu. Do you want to say goodbye? Yeah, goodbye, everyone. And let us know what cobs, bombs, baps, wherever they're called, where you are. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Oh.